We fit that much information in 29 minutes? People are going to love this episode. Crammed it in. Crammed it in. <laughs> you recording us right now talking about cramming? <laughs> Uh, welcome to, oh, I forgot the name of my podcast. Starting over. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Extra Sauce on the Side, where we talk about the things that make life a little more tasty and interesting. Uh, I am here with my mother as our special guest today. Um, I don't know how many of you know me and know my story, but um, I, since my early 20s, have really struggled with depression and anxiety to the point where I have done extensive therapy and have been taking medication for about five years now. And growing up in a household where that was allowed was such a blessing. And both of my parents have psychology degrees. Um, my mom went to Wheaton College and my dad went to Grand Valley State. So we've got a little legacy action going on there because I went there as well. But I grew up in a household where my dad had pretty bad depression, anxiety, and OCD, and my mom is bipolar one. So um, we just thought we would come on here and talk a little bit in the way that we do in our own family about being what we call crazy and how that's affected our lives and the way we communicate. And I just wanted to really talk about our family history, and this story is pretty interesting. So um, we also asked you guys some questions, which we'll go over at the end just to make sure that we get all of those things answered. So um, I guess we start with what's bipolar one, Mother Dearest. Well, her name it's is been... Carrie Shellner, by the way. <laughs> she has a name and an identity outside of me. Not usually Mommy Dearest. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been in the textbooks in yeah. terms of defining it, but the way I would define it is... Um, Having a personality that is prone to both deep depression and periods of mania. Um, I I laugh a lot lately because the term bipolar is thrown around like ice cream. That's literally one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode and the way we talked about this. Because one of my biggest pet peeves is when people use the word bipolar in the colloquial sense and... And act like because their boyfriend's having mood swings or their girlfriend got her period that she counts as bipolar. And it's a lot more serious than that. Yeah. Um, it can be life devastating. And um, so it, it does bother me, too, to hear people refer to others usually as being bipolar when basically they're just moody yeah. or they're something other than that. Or they but, don't agree with what they have to say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, I mean, basically, and it can take so many different forms. Now, I don't know the the um, technical terms anymore in terms of whether uh, um, bipolar 1 would fit into these, but uh, people who have this disorder can go up and down and up and down and up and down within a day. Other people can go days, years, you know, I mean, but basically what it is is experiencing very unusual lows and incredibly unusual highs. Um, People who suffer from this illness 
um, can get into a lot of trouble, especially during their manic periods. You feel like you're Superman. And any skill that you've ever had in your life, you feel like you can do it, and you can do it better than anyone in the world. And um, so you're taking on different projects. You're taking on different new and different things you've always wanted to do. Um, very often, it results in um, sleep becoming something that you don't do. Um, just, just your whole personality um, speeded up. Yeah, and then the depressive sides are horrid, obviously, because it's very common for people with bipolar disorder to commit suicide. And both in their depressive times and in their manic times, because in their manic times, they're not careful like they should be. Take risky. Yeah. And in their depressive times, they feel like the world is over. So um, so just generally, that's basically what it deals with is abnormally high and abnormally low ways of looking at life. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, to talk while we're talking about diagnoses. Um to talk about talking to a professional and getting those things confirmed mm-hmm. by both the DSM and a professional. The DSM mm-hmm. is the handbook for mental illnesses. Does it have physical illnesses in it too or just no. mental? Okay. Yeah. See, I did not go to school for psychology, mm-hmm. so I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I've had it used on me because we thought for a while that I might have bipolar too, but I didn't fit the classifications at the time. So mm-hmm. I think for those of you listening who do struggle with your mental health, it's very important that you go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis mm-hmm. because then you know what you're working with. Mm-hmm. Especially with bipolar, people can have a lot of trouble misdiagnosing themselves with bipolar. The medication reg- regimen is very different than someone who has depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And they can look very similar in the fact that with depression and anxiety, you also have cycles. They're just not as prolonged and dramatic as they are when you have bipolar. Mm-hmm. Another um, good reason for being for having a relationship with a psychiatrist, especially if you have an active illness, what I would describe, where you're having episodes that need to be dealt with and that is it can sometimes be very difficult to get hospitalized unless you have a relationship with a doctor. And um, even then, sometimes it's hard to get hospitalized. And hospitalization is not an uncommon thing with this illness. And it's the best thing a lot of times. Um, So I'm so thrilled to see how Um, treatment for a lot of mental illness has stepped into the doctor's office. I'm thrilled to see how people who are dealing with a number of different illnesses can actually just be treated by their family doctor and and successfully treated. But it gets a little tricky when you're dealing with some illnesses still. And um, if you have one of the serious ones, we'll call them, Um, it's just good to have a relationship with, with a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, or a, really a psychiatrist, yeah. because they are the ones who will be able to help you when you are in your desperate times of need. I personally am now medicated by my family doctor, but I've had a long history of 
15 minute minute appointments with psychiatrists, you know, just saying that I'm doing well. Many, many years of that. (laughs) I remember before before you, I knew you had a mental illness because Mm -hmm. my mom is fortunate enough to have been in recovery, I guess we would call it, for as long as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I've never seen her have a manic episode. Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit of depression, but nothing Mm -hmm. out of the ordinary because normal cycles of emotion are normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember her psychiatrist or calling mm-hmm. and checking in to make sure that she was okay. And that mm-hmm. was just normal in our family, which mm-hmm. growing up in the nineties, that was very rare. And I think um, it would be helpful for us to transition into your story mm-hmm. and just to the, the thread of mental illness that flows through our family and how that has allowed us to have these conversations openly, mm-hmm. um, mostly starting with your household, with your dad, mm-hmm. um, who also had bipolar one, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my first exposure to mental illness was when I was a sophomore in high school, and my dad had his first openly manic se- um, uh, episode. Episode, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mark that. <laughs> um, and it was a doozy. Um we, I, I would, I would never have known Dad had any kind of mental illness. It really wasn't something we talked about because it hadn't affected our life. Although it had dramatically affected his life at a younger age, he was hospitalized as a high schooler at a state mental hospital. If any of you have seen pictures of the one in Traverse City that's now converted to gift shops, mm-hmm. um, that is where. My grandpa, my mom's dad, mm-hmm. spent some time as a teenager. So Yeah. And that was after a lot of time of not being able to figure out what was going on with him. So I um, I don't really know that much about his treatment there. I know he w- it was the time when they were doing shock treatment and hydrotherapy treatment and basically any kind of treatment they could to try to bring about some improvement for patients. I also have learned, um, Mom and I did a tour of that facility a number of years ago, that that particular facility was a a really good place for him to be. (laughs) They had specifically set it on grounds where they had... um, fields around it and there would there were jobs that they could do outside and just a lot of the philosophies there were probably kinder and um more helpful than a lot of the things that were going on at that time. Yeah, you they know? have a reputation for being more humane than yeah. the standard was yeah. at the time. Yeah. So anyway, he had that in his past, but then he went to college, met my mom, they got married, had us kids, and at that point in time, there would have been five of us in the house, and dad just flipped in terms of his personality. He, he, um, I won't go into all the details, but he was not himself to the point of by the time he was taken to the hospital, he was psychotic. He yep. was not in touch with reality. Which was, and we were there, yeah, <laughs> and and experienced that with him. And he was actually still very loving, but he was weird, you know. <laughs> and um, I know that that influenced me in terms of my studies to study psychology because it was just so hard for me to figure out, you know. Yeah. So I walked through that sophomore year into my college years and. 
actually was a senior in college when I um, I just stopped doing things. And I stopped having confidence in myself. I quit a job where they were very happy with me that I was working part-time off campus. I stopped going to classes, which was not me. No, I mean, I was like, doing well at that point. You were the you know? kind of student that teachers liked, exactly. right? You were a TA for someone. I had right? a good relationship with the psych department. I, um, Yeah, so ultimately what this became was me in my bed, seeing if I could get through the day without having to get out of it. You know, I had a roommate. She was freaking out. You know, I had a house full of girls I was living with, all who cared about me but couldn't figure out what in the world was going on, you know. And and that was that started happening at the beginning of my last semester. By the time that, um, well, and during that semester, I was interviewing for jobs that people had brought to my attention, just kind of like going through the motions while in my heart, I didn't know whether I'd be there the next day, you know. And then um, on the day of our graduation, my parents came to get me and took me home. <laughs> and I didn't go through graduation. I hadn't been to classes in months, you know. And um, they, uh, I was just talking with mom about this the other day. Um, they brought me home and I was um, talking to them one time, and I um, said to them, there's really nothing wrong with me. This is just the way I'm supposed to be. You know, I just have to get through this, yeah. you know. And that's how it feels, by the way, when you have any sort of mental illness. Yeah. Yours is much more extreme than mine, mm -hmm. but you just feel like you have to find different coping mechanisms. Yeah. You have to divorce your husband. You mm -hmm. have to you have to change your life situation. Yeah. You have to move somewhere new. You have yeah. to... And you'll be happy then, or yeah. or you'll just realize that you're just a sad person, and that's your identity, and or, that's so dangerous. Or even, this is the way God wanted me to be. Yeah. I mean, I said those words repeatedly, you know what I mean? That that's what He wanted me to be, you know? So, I went into the hospital, and I actually had a— I what, also want to stop you for one second. Who— yeah. Who inspired you to go into the hospital? Did you do that yourself? Did someone help you get into the hospital? I know that that process is pretty hard to yeah. get. I don't know if it was different then, but now it's pretty hard and usually requires some exterior support to get into yeah. the hospital. It was mainly my parents. Okay. I mean, they they knew something was very, very wrong, Okay, you know, um, and we waited. Yeah. That time we waited. <laughs> um Till there was, till they could accept me. Do you know what I mean, or whatever? So, because I wasn't at all, I was very docile. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I was just gonna just lay there for the rest of my life, I guess. You know. <laughs> so, I went into my stay, and my and you know, I'm 22 years old, just turned 22. I'm I, in my mind, my life is over. You yeah. know, who wants a girl who's 22 years old and has been in a mental hospital? You know, I mean, that's, it's just, and really, I can honestly say that most of the time in my counseling while in the hospital, that's what I talked about. What am I doing here? Not what am I doing here, like, um, I don't why am here. I here? Yeah. But who's going to want me? How can I get beyond this? And why you know? should I get better? And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a long stay from hospital standards. I was there eight weeks 
So yeah. I spent my whole summer basically there. And Which that, let's talk about hospital stays now. Mm-hmm. A week is a long hospital exactly. stay. Usually yeah. you're there for two to three days so they can get you on medication and regulated. Exactly. And then they kick you out. So yeah. the fact that she was there for eight weeks means there was some stuff going well, on. Well, the problem, well, I was on an antidepressant when I went in there and they continued with that. But it took them a long time to try me on lithium. Okay. Which was odd with me looking back with my sane mind, you know, because my dad, because of my dad's history, you know. But I'm not sure that he was ever treated effectively with lithium. Mm. So that may have been why there was a difference. But according to other people, as soon as I started taking lithium, they could see changes in me. Now, myself, I couldn't. I was still a 22-year-old woman, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that that was my self-image at that point in time, you know, so that took some time to work through, you know, but they could see me improving and eventually they kicked me out. You know, I didn't feel like I was ready to hit the big world, but I did, you know, went back to my parents' home, found a job, got involved in that. Um, uh, what else? What happened? Oh, at the same time, I started um, dating again the man that I had dated in high school, my husband Don, and my dad. In case yeah. anyone's wondering, yes, my parents are still together. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was again a, a, becoming a part of my life. And um, I remember one time expressing to him how hard it was to be me having gone through what I had just gone through, you know, and I can almost see his face today just looking at me and saying, you had a hard time. And it was like absolutely nothing to him. And this happens to be a man who loves me inside out. Yeah, you got real lucky with your first real boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, let's let's take a second to brag about my parents' marriage. They're not perfect and would never say that they're perfect, but they love each other and have made that very clear my whole life. And a lot of these things they've gone through together and have been fortunate enough to go through together, um, especially at a time where they met at a very conservative church where you couldn't dance and you couldn't talk about your feelings, and mm-hmm. um, they did. And we're kind of scandalous for it, but they did. And um, we're very fortunate and blessed to find each other and do the work to stay together for so long. So I'm very grateful to grow up in a household where my parents chose to actively love each other since they started dating pretty much. So So we um, got engaged, like right out of the blue, kind of. We dated in the fall and early um, January, and also at that time, usually, at least at the time when I was first being treated, when they put you on a medication, they tried taking you off of it after a couple months, typically, just to see whether it had kicked your system back into into you the proper use or whatever you know they like to do that which so, does work for some people by it the does. way i'd like to say the reason that it's so nice that you can go to your primary care practitioner and say i'm depressed mm-hmm. is because a lot of people depression is a temporary state right and medication for a short period of time is the way to start if especially if you're not seeing a psychiatrist mm-hmm. it's the way to go if you have postpartum or mm-hmm. or just are in a hard time of life um, it's 
it can be effective short term and not everyone has to be on depression meds for forever. Mm-hmm. Very true. So we got engaged. I got a call from a firm in Minnesota that I had done an internship at. They offered me a job. I took that job. We, um, Don was unemployed at that time, so he was going to look for a job in Minnesota there. I went to Minnesota, um, found an apartment for us, had all our stuff moved over there, getting ready for it, and was at my job. This, it, it was a job. It wasn't an internship anymore. And could feel myself just speeding up, but not really recognizing it as being uh, brought about by me, but rather by my circumstances. Because you were making it. I was. I was doing everything I was supposed to do at that time of life. And I contacted someone to find out whether I was a good candidate for doing modeling. Mm. I got my violin up there and started taking violin lessons because that needed to happen in my life. Well, I just found out that that happened. So clearly the violin lessons did not work out long term. I'm trying to think of other things that I do, but you can obviously tell that I was maybe going up, you know, and that that really eventually what happened there is I was definitely manic and I was interacting with people in my job in, in an inappropriate way, um, meaning just saying whatever I felt and trying to solve all the world's problems when I was the new employee and um, it was a firm that did um, industrial psychological consulting. Mm-hmm. So there were people on board who might have had an inkling. Well, I, I'm sure I told everyone that I was bipolar. You know, I'm, there's no doubt in my mind that I did. <laughs> you know, um, what, to make a long story very short, I got fired. And I was given a letter. And my parting gift to my job was to um, Xerox that letter and put it in everyone's mailbox so that they would know why I had been fired, you know. Yes. and Very and, mature and professional. Yes, exactly. And then I left there, got in my car, and drove home. And at that point in time... I knew everyone there knew something was going on, obviously. And I knew how you got into the hospital, and that was to say that you were going to kill yourself. So I said that. And I got in the hospital again immediately. <laughs> and um, basically, they put me back on lithium and, you know, brought my mood back to an even keel. Um, and you know, I went home. I actually, ironically, went back to the job I had left to go to take the other job in Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, spent some time there and then just kind of merged back into life again. And I married my husband um, and we took off from there. Now, that's my some history yeah. of the highs and lows, yeah. you know. I can relate to people who I have talked to over the years because I have dealt with both of those. And oddly, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I mean, why have an illness if you can't have it be something that can be of help to someone else? Exactly. You know, why why 
why not have that experience to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I know, didn't you feel like an idiot? Yeah. Didn't or, you feel like an idiot when you spent all your money right before you got married? Exactly. You, like, there are so many things. My dad still jokes about that to this day. That, yeah. And it is a joke. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's not that he holds it against her because yeah. my dad has had his own struggles as well. But, yeah. Um, just how when you're manic, it's real logical. Yeah. When you're in your own head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. So logical. So very logical. And and not only that, but you don't want it to stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're on fire. You're, you got it all under control, you know, and to and nobody else gets it, you yeah. know. I remember when I was in the hospital that time, I they asked me to come in a room, and someone I had met already came in and chatted with, with me for a minute, and then they had someone else come in and sit down with me. And... They said, just chat, you know, whatever. So I started telling them all that was going on and, you know, everything. that Just rattling off, you know, you know. Go. And all of a sudden I stopped and I thought, they're guinea pigging me. They're seeing if you're okay. No, they're, they're letting him see what someone who is manic looks like. Do you oh, know what I mean? Wow. And that's kind of when I thought, okay, whatever. <laughs> just, just fix me. Do you know what I mean? But it was, it. I say that lightly, but it was really hard. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was really hard to realize that I was exhibiting classic manic sim- um, symptoms. You know, yeah. I mean, I was a good, I was a good example. Yeah. And I know? think it's important too, to emphasize that mental illness doesn't discriminate based on your intelligence level or your economic level or any of those things, because my mom did end up graduating. She had some great professors who understood the illness and um, allowed her to get her degree eventually. But my mom is a very smart person. And and an, I'm a pretty smart person. And knowing when you're in those moments where you're depressed or I assume also manic, mm-hmm. you can kind of see yourself acting in a way that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But it feels right still. Mm-hmm. And you can be extremely intelligent and still have those reactions. And I think people assume that you're sick because you're not smart enough to figure it out yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's not true at all. Mm -hmm. Or that you're just weird. Yeah. You know, that you're just odd, you know. Um, Yeah. So um, let's take a break. I need to use the bathroom <laughs> because I drank coffee and I need to wash my hands because I spilled yeah. said coffee <laughs> all over myself. So we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about what life looks like now, how the stigma has changed from the time that my grandpa was sick to now. Um, and then we'll answer some questions that you guys had. So. <laughs> Okay, so we're back. Um, we had a little water break. My mom barged in on me in the bathroom because apparently she didn't hear that part where I said I had to use the restroom. Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but my hands are no longer sticky and we're ready for action. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about how your experience is different but also normal after going through recovery. So you were fortunate enough to only really have one real manic episode. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is not common, by the way. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who have bipolar one are actually forced to have more than that before they get full treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, because it's hard to get into hospitals. And second of all, because a lot of times you're treated for depression and not the manic side of things. And also because people don't take their meds. Yes. Also that. Very common problem. A little disclaimer. If you do decide to take meds, do not stop taking them on your own Mm -hmm. without the help of a doctor. Um, That is very harmful for you. And I have done it to myself several times on accident mostly. And it makes all of your symptoms a hundred times worse than it is normally. So it's real scary. It's a real reality check if you do it, but I don't recommend it, especially if you are on something like lithium. Mm-hmm. Um, lithium is known for being one of the more dangerous mm-hmm. meds because it is poison. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no way to self-medicate with lithium. You need help. Yeah, you have to have regular level checks. Yes. Um, they vary in terms of how often they do them, but they're there's a very there's a therapeutic level and anything up or down from that is not a good thing. Yeah. So and your body also builds tolerance, so not mm-hmm. taking enough of it can be an issue as mm-hmm. well. Um so let's just talk a little bit about how after establishing that perfect level for you, your life went. You got married. Mm-hmm. Clearly we're here. Mm-hmm. I have two older brothers. Mm-hmm. So just talk a little bit about that process. Um, I I don't remember exactly the on and off of lithium for me. I know that um, Don and I started attempting to get pregnant probably about a year and a half after we were married. And part of that was I needed to go off lithium because it's not a medication you can take when you're um, carrying a child. And... So as Sam has mentioned, I did that with my doctor, and um, it went wonderfully. And I had um, a period, a five-year period, where I had um, all three of my children, and I didn't need to take any medication at all. Um, Just a side note, too. There are medications that you can take while while you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um I have talked to my doctor about it because we're almost to that point of our life and I'm on Zoloft or sertraline or whatever you want to call it. Um, And you can take a low dosage of that while you are pregnant in order to regulate your depression and anxiety. Just, but still talk to your doctor. Yeah, Yeah. completely talk to your doctor. But I I researched um, other options. St. John's Wart was one that I had heard of taking... In lieu of lithium, if you had trouble, again, don't go on my advice for that. But there sometimes are other herbs or different things that can help people who are really having regular episodes and really wanting to be a parent. So, And there's no shame in wanting to be a parent if you have mental illness. You're a person too. Anybody who thinks that you shouldn't have kids if you have a mental illness probably shouldn't be listening to this Mm -hmm. podcast. Well, so that period I often refer to, especially in talking with my husband, as my God-given period because um, I didn't have to have that, and I would not have had my children, and that just breaks my heart to even think of it. But that God-given period came to an end, 
Um, at about the time Sammy was a year and a half or two, we thought we might want to have another child. And I, um, I, I was speeding up. You know, I could see things in my life that were speeding up. Decisions I was making were not good decisions. And um, it wasn't a full-blown manic a, a episode by any re- mean, by any means, but I needed to go back on my meds. And, you know, through all of this, I, um, I see God's hand. I, he, he knew that that should not happen. Yeah. It should not happen for us to have another child. We were at our perfect size. And um, so I went back on my meds. And I think maybe there was another time when I went back off again and then went back on. And I can't really remember because I finally just in my life said to myself, it's going to make me and everyone around me so much more confident in my mental stability if I just take these stupid meds. And they weren't affecting me negatively in any way. A lot of people have a horrid side effects, you know. I mean, I for had my no, depression meds, I yeah. can't lose weight for the life of me. Yeah. Yes, I do eat a lot of pizza, but I also yeah. eat healthier than a lot of my very thin friends. And since I've started taking my depression meds, I've had a really hard time losing weight. Right. Which can be life-altering. But yes. I'd rather be alive and fat than yeah. dead. <laughs> Right. I mean, so I also, I mean, I was working in the financial industry and I thought I could get into big trouble if I had a manic episode that that snuck up on me. Do you know what I mean? And that was reflected in my work. And basically it made me trust myself more than I would have if I hadn't been on them. So call that a crutch, call that whatever you want to call it. That was the decision that I made. And I've been on lithium straight for forever. Yeah, probably yeah. 20, 30 years. Probably, well. I'm, I'll be 28 this yeah, year. Yeah, so. it's probably 25 years now, you know, yeah. that I have never even considered going off of it again. And the only thing that would probably make me do that is if my body was reacting negatively to something that it was causing. Um, yeah, so I'm a med girl. Yeah. And I I want to talk a little bit. Um, if you don't know already, I come from a religious family, but mm-hmm. like the cool kind <laughs> where we talk about things like this. And um, I've seen in my mom's life personally her face a little adversity from the church for being on long-term medication. And personally, I've experienced um, not even just in the church in general, people who use self-care or prayer as a way to self-medicate instead of seeking the medication that could change your life and I resisted for a long time Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. which my mom was witness to and her and my dad were the reason I ended up going on meds and we can talk about that too but well it's hard enough to take a med let alone if you have anyone in your life saying you just need to pray about it yeah and it's scary taking a med it is because there was this campaign when we were in high school that was like I don't know why but maybe because meds have alternate effects on teenagers when you're mm-hmm. going through puberty mm-hmm. that told you that you would kill yourself if you took meds and well, you didn't need them. So yeah. so don't even bother taking them because they're dangerous and you shouldn't do it. And that is not true, by yeah. the way. If you do it the proper way with a doctor mm-hmm. assisting you, and especially if you're going to therapy while you do it, mm-hmm. um, it is a very well-monitored process that 
If you have adverse effects, there are plenty of other solutions that can help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were talking about praying it away and how yeah. people, I know that you've been confronted by people in your life who have been disappointed in you for taking meds. But you know what, Sammy, more than that, I've been um, approached by people who are hurting, wanting relief from a mental illness, who have just soaked up my words when I've said, it's okay, it's all right. Do you know what I mean? You can't pray this away. You can't pray until you get rid of this, probably. That's that's what I tell people because I have the same experience where people reach out to me, Mm -hmm. especially people of the church Mm -hmm. who have reached out to people and have been given advice that made them feel even more in despair. Mm -hmm. I couldn't love God until I was on drugs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That sounds like I'm Mm -hmm. taking illicit drugs, but I'm talking Mm -hmm. prescription medication for my mental illness. When you are mentally ill, and if you're someone who's not, good for you, and this may help you understand that, but when you're mentally ill, all you can think about is yourself. Mm -hmm. You cannot think outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So to have the concept of God be anything but a psychotic break is Mm -hmm. out of your realm of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And so I found that I couldn't pray Mm -hmm. until I started taking meds. I didn't have a personal relationship with God until I started taking meds Mm -hmm. and I could think clearly. Yeah. You know, it's something that um, is said quite often is, you know, if you had diabetes, would you just tell someone to just go pray it away? Yeah. You know, and that kind of falls into, too, the stigma issue that we've talked about of um, that that stigma of taking meds has become less. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that more and more people are recognizing mental illness is basically another form of physical illness. But I just think the problem is, and again, I use very untechnical terms, but it manifests itself in such a weird way that people have trouble assimilating that into their book of knowledge. Yeah. You know, yeah, if you have diabetes, you're lying dead on almost dead on the ground because you're having a sugar attack. You know, that needs attention, mm-hmm. you know. But if someone is on the brink of suicide because they're fighting some sort of mental illness, that's equally of, of but it doesn't seem that way. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it can't be seen in the way a sugar attack might have. But we're making strides. But, yeah, we're making strides. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the stigma and how that has changed. We've been fortunate enough to grow up in a family where both of my parents struggled with mental illness and were open about it because they had no choice but to mm-hmm. be. Um, in my own story, uh, I had a friend commit suicide and that was really hard on me and it caused me to have a um, depressive episode that I would say turned into a psychotic break mm-hmm. um, to the point where I had violent thoughts and was Mm self-destructive never suicidal but my form of suicide was risky behavior Mm -hmm. and making poor choices and I approached my parents because I needed a place to live because I was going to leave my husband and they said we love you we support you in whatever you do but we won't support this until you go to therapy and until you get on a med 
And it was the first real time that my parents had emphasized getting on medication um, because it was the first real time where my illness was bad enough that it was destroying my life. And um, I did, and things got better, and we worked on my marriage for the next until now and <laughs> um and life got better but it took two people sitting me down and saying we will go with you we'll do whatever you need but we won't support you unless you do this mm-hmm. um so for someone who's so open about mental illness to feel that much shame about taking medication um was a big deal and i think even in the short time that i've been taking medication there's been a lot more open conversation about things and um i've always tried to advocate for that um and be open about my story and the poor decisions i've made in my life and how my meds really do make it so that i can function mm-hmm. um i imagine that back when grandpa had bipolar disorder it was a little bit different mm-hmm. most of the time you got shipped off to a state hospital mm-hmm. do you know anything about his experience with the stigma at all um i don't really because dad didn't talk that much about it i can i remember when i got out of the hospital my mom made he and i go to um it was like a beltline bar i remember we had burritos you know and i think the goal was to make it easier for me you know, as I was at reentering the world, you know, or whatever. It was the most awkward time I I ever remember having with him. Bipolar burrito club. Yeah. <laughs> Title of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> and and actually there was too that feeling of I don't want to belong to this club. Yeah. You know, I don't wanna I don't I don't wanna have to, you know, it was just too raw, you know. But um yeah, he didn't he didn't talk that much about his experiences and his 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 life did not go well from there. Once he started having manic episodes, he had them I think it was like about every 5 years. And they were doozies, all of them. You know, they were ambulances coming to the door to take him, straight jackets, you know, I mean and he um he didn't have as good of luck with meds. He he um Things didn't work for as well for him. He was on a number of meds, but they would they never seemed to get him right where he should be. He was either bordering on manic or so depressed that he barely got out of his chair. Do you know what I mean? And so um he he had a I will say, I think he would say he had a good life, but he had a very hard life. Yeah. And um I used to get mad at him for not like taking control of his illness a little better and um living instead of like instead of just existing, you know. And thankfully I was given a real um spirit of insight at one point in time to the fact that he was doing the best that he could do, you know, and that his life had not been like mine. Yeah. You know, he, the, his illness was a lot harder on him. And he didn't have anyone who understood it in, no. his, in his life. Yeah. yeah. And he, um, yeah. And so fortunately before he died, I let go of all that crap. 
and um, just attempted to love on him like you would any other time. Do you know what I mean? And to, and it wasn't like I blamed him for my illness. It was, it was like I was an advocate for being the best you can be with bipolar, you know. And he wasn't living up to the to the standard that I had for and how him. How dare he do it a different way than you? Did exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. And I think and, there's a lot of that in in mental health culture now. Yes. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that everyone deals with it in a different way. Exactly. And how really, really wrong that was of me. You know, I, um, he was doing the best he could, you know, and he, um, he was surviving. Yeah. And he did. And he made <laughs> he did. five great kids. Yeah. And, yeah. And fostered a bunch. Mm-hmm. Like, they did lots they of wonderful things. so many things. Yeah. With, with having that and not having much treatment for it. Right. Because it wasn't, the world of psychology wasn't there. Exactly. He hit the time period that he fought his illness through was a very hard time period. And um, he did a good job. Yeah. We talk all the time about how grateful we are to be sick now. Exactly. Um, because even your experience and mine are different. Yeah. Um, I am allowed to openly say things and not worry about whether or not I'm going to get hired for a job. Right. Yeah. Um, You not necessarily. Yeah. At the point where you were really sick. Yeah. Have you, do you have any experiences of discrimination that stand out in your mind throughout? I really don't because my illness was so latent Mm -hmm. and, but I, one boss long-term boss of mine, I know never got it. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to say it. Do you know? I, I, he just, he never, he would say things and I'd be like, you just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly about other people who yeah. were having trouble with different things, you know, but he was from a different generation and um, had not been exposed to things in his family that I know of, you know, and I think that's where a lot of information comes from is exposure yeah i mean having someone close to you go through it and you walking with them you know and and seeing oh my gosh i never knew this could happen to people you know well and that's why i get so offended when people throw around the word bipolar because i know Mm you Mm -hmm. and you're the most normal happy everyone loves you person that i've ever met Mm -hmm. and so it really irks me and most of the time i say something Mm -hmm. because i think people throw around that word like it's Mm-hmm. Just a a way to describe someone who is annoying. And my mom is like the most pleasant human being. And I've always known her as that. So for some reason, this reminds me of a funny story from when we were at Girl Scout camp. Oh, <laughs> you must have just found out I was bipolar for some reason, because it was fresh on your mind, you know. <laughs> And you, I think you told everyone there that I was bipolar and you would say, can you believe it? You know, I mean, like, it was just like, it was shocking. (laughs) It literally is. Anyone who knows you would agree with me. Well, and one of your leaders was really shocked, you know? (laughs) Well, probably because I was giving all your laundry to everyone. But also because you are, you're like very meek. Yeah. I mean, not meek, but like. You don't get all up in anybody's grill. You're yeah. very accepting. You're yeah. like, you're a cool mom. Well, it was funny because at first, 
the first person you told, I was like, whoa, that's not something people talk about, honey. You know, I didn't say it to you, but yeah. I, because I like to let you be you, you know. <laughs> so and, since day one, I've been an overshare, <laughs> in case you were wondering. And um, then I, the more, when you told another person, I thought, this is how people should know people who are bipolar. Yeah. Do you know and what I, I mean? This is how proud of you. Yeah, and you were. That was it. You were so darn proud of it. I thought, I'm not going to shut her up if that's the one quality I have that she really likes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I like a lot of things about you, but I am really yeah. proud of the way that you've been able to manage. Yeah, but you were cute and you were loving in in the way you presented it. And um, it's a really happy memory of mine. Really? <laughs> Well, I didn't remember any of that because it probably wasn't that big of a deal to me. I've been sharing too much information since the day I was born. So, um, yeah, I think the stigma nowadays is mostly um, it's a little bit reversed where um, there's a lot of shame in in not doing something about Mm. your mental Mm -hmm. illness. And there's a lot of shame in not doing it the way everyone else is doing it. Mm And I think that you need to be compassionate when people approach you. But also, Mm -hmm. if you have friends who are reaching out to you, realize that this is not the first step Mm -hmm. of their recovery. Mm -hmm. This is months and years of them agonizing by themselves and them reaching out to you is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. And share with them, but also encourage them to get professional help because Mm -hmm. your advice is not going to save them. Yeah. You know, we talked before about how um, GPs now can help. And I, I still encourage people to have that be their first step. Yeah. And I've spoken with my GP because as a person who's on lithium, I have I have thought, I don't mind that she gives me my prescriptions, but if, if I have a, a dire need, she's not going to be able to help me, you know. So I asked her, actually, I think it was last year when I was there, what would you do if I needed a psychiatrist, you yeah. know? And she said, well, we have... We have we have um, resources for yeah, that, and that's you know? actually a good transition into mm-hmm. if you do feel like you're struggling with mental illness, a little bit of what the process looks like. Because mm-hmm. I did get meds through my GP mm-hmm. um, or primary care mm-hmm. or a pediatrician for some of you because you've been mm-hmm. going to the same person since you were a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, how it works is you go in, and they make you fill out that mental horm, mental horm, mental <laughs> health form, mm-hmm. um, and. They talk to you and you say, I'm really feeling like I need some support. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my case, I was already seeing a therapist and that made them a little more comfortable. But Mm -hmm. I said, this is how I'm feeling. And I have a family history on my dad's side of depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And they take your whole mental health history, Mm -hmm. which I've got a lot of in my family. (laughs) Um, And I said, this is the medication that works for my dad. I'd like to start with that. And Mm -hmm. I went in knowing a little more than most people, but your primary care will have recommendations for you Mm -hmm. of what they think will work based on your symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it starts with being honest. Mm -hmm. um, And you're telling your symptoms is not an exaggeration. What's going on in your mind Mm -hmm. is going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. So they prescribe you the meds. The meds take uh, between two weeks and a month to work. Um, So they also have someone from their social work department reach out to you to check in um, because they are now liable for your Mm well-being. And they also do care. Mm 
They mm-hmm. want to hear from you and make sure that you're okay. And they know how treatable it might be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They want to make sure that what should be happening is happening. Yeah. And if you feel that's overwhelming, and I did when they reached out to me, mm-hmm. because I was already seeing a therapist, mm-hmm. I just gave them the name of my therapist and mm-hmm. said, if you need any more information, reach out to them. And mm-hmm. they're more than okay with that. Um, I'm a little more hands-on when it comes to my mental health journey, but knowing that they have those resources and are ready and willing to use them in the best way and have someone actually check on you, especially Mm -hmm. if you're in a place where you don't have a support system near you. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to know that your primary care Mm -hmm. can give you a support system when you feel like you don't have one. Mm -hmm. And that call is free. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay anything extra for that. Um, The appointment to get my meds was just my copay. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine they're pretty lenient about if those appointments, if you don't have insurance, they want you to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Meds are relatively inexpensive. They've been around for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, especially the one that I'm on. I think it's $4 a month to fill my prescription mm-hmm. if I didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's virtually free. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that has been really hard is therapy is expensive. Mm-hmm. And we know therapy is expensive, but there are organizations now that do virtual therapy that's affordable. Mm-hmm. Um, I will look up a couple of those. Caleb is probably a good resource for what, I mean, there's better help, which I've heard, but I don't know mm-hmm. their pricing structure. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, this the change of the stigma has allowed for more accessible healthcare for people with mental illness, Mm -hmm. even if it's not through your insurance, which it won't be because most insurances have riders that don't cover therapy. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a little bit of what the process looks like if Mm -hmm. you are deciding to go on meds. And I would always recommend having the support of a therapist or a psychiatrist who knows you Mm -hmm. and knows what you need because they're the ones who are going to recommend what's right. Yeah, just one thought, too, about therapist. I haven't done a lot of time in therapy because a lot of my illness has literally been physical. Yeah. You know, if I'm getting my meds, I'm good. If I'm not getting my meds, I'm not good. But I, um, therapy is a thing of connecting, yeah. and it is very important that you connect with your, with your therapist. Now, that sounds kind of nebulous, but... You will know after a couple sessions whether or not this person is going to be able to help you. And also your therapist shouldn't just listen to you. Yeah, exactly. If you have a a mental illness or believe you have a mental illness and you need help, your therapist should give you action items. If Mm -hmm. your therapist isn't giving you action items, it's probably not a good therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you don't think you have mental illness, Mm -hmm. the point of therapy is to get better. Mm -hmm. You do not want to be in therapy with someone who wants you to come twice a week for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You want to be in therapy with someone who identifies the issue, Mm -hmm. gives you solutions, and if they can't do that, you need a new therapist. Yeah, and don't be afraid to look for a new therapist. Uh, Word of mouth is a good way to find one. Um, There I'm asking your doctor they have a lot of exposure to different therapists they know you they know what personalities might help out but really don't waste time in therapy with someone who you can tell you're not getting help from and even if it's someone you just don't vibe with exactly you you know that if you you're gonna dread going to therapy let me tell you this well it's gonna be hard yeah because every time you go to therapy you're gonna 
it's hard work. You're going to leave with something that you have to do that feels mm-hmm. like homework. It's going to suck. Mm-hmm. But you'll feel better when you leave. Mm-hmm. And you should feel like the therapist is on your team. Yeah. You shouldn't feel like you're going and talking to someone who's judging you. Mm-hmm. And I've had both good and bad therapy experiences. Mm-hmm. And a good therapist will be able to cut through your bullshit. Mm-hmm. They'll be able to tell you, okay, but what about this pain point we talked about last week that you don't want to talk about? Mm -hmm. You'll find someone who can see through that in you, and that's what you want. Mm -hmm. You don't want someone who just lets you talk, Mm -hmm. and that can be hard to find. So it's worth it to switch if you feel like you're not getting action items and support that you need. Yeah. Keep looking is what I always tell people. Just don't give up. The, you, this might not work the first time. And I say the same thing about meds. This med might not work the first time. There's there's a lot of different options that are at work here. But for so many people, there's something that's going to help. Yeah, There's something that's going to help that's going to bring you to a place where you can be interacting with this world the way God intended for you to be. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, is the goal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also want to talk about how meds make you feel, too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a question that I get a lot of the time because the same thing when we were teenagers, we were told that meds make you feel like a zombie. Mm-hmm. Meds don't make you feel like a zombie. They mellow out the highs and lows. Mm-hmm. They allow you to deal with your emotions instead of feeling so overwhelmed by them that you can't mm-hmm. with life, mm-hmm. whether that's you're suicidal or you get so depressed you can't get out of bed or Mm -hmm. you're so anxious that you have anxiety attacks they help mellow things out when i was really depressed i wished that my meds would have made me a zombie that's Mm -hmm. what i was hoping for Mm -hmm. they don't they allow you to feel the things you're supposed to feel and they allow you to let go of those thoughts that you keep ruminating on that have no benefit to you Mm -hmm. so it's funny with my meds. I I cannot tell that they do anything. And that <laughs> is part of the problem that we talked about earlier yeah. of people going off their meds. Because I I think always the people around me have had a better handle on whether I was ill or not. Yeah. And that's something that I had to humble myself to accept a long time ago is there are were a few key people in my life that I committed to that said, you know, you got to tell me if I've got a problem. And they did. And it was hell. Yeah. And you're mad <laughs> I, at them when they say it to you because you don't want to do the I was not happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was not at all happy. And they were full of malarkey. You could you know? say shit. Yeah. <laughs> We don't, I didn't cuss around my mom until like the last year or so. And then she's made me feel very comfortable with my cussing lately. So, so you know, that's a different thing for me. Do you know what I mean? Because they're, they're kind of the invisible factor, you know, yeah. that, that's just leveling my life. Yeah. Okay. We're going to go to these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you to the people who submitted questions on Instagram last minute. Um, I was planning on filming another, on, <laughs> on recording another episode today, but this is even better. So um, how does bipolar affect your daily life and how would you know if you had it? Mm. Um, it kind of as I've expressed, it doesn't affect my daily life now other than, well, I talked with Sammy about before we started this a little bit and I never really talked about it. There, it's always there. Um 
I know I have this illness. I know what the symptoms are of this illness. Therefore, I'm kind of checking myself at times. Like, if I'm getting really happy about something, I feel like a little bit of that happiness is stolen because I have to worry that I'm getting too happy, yeah. you know? Or if I... I I, de- I worry about that a lot more than depression because when you're depressed you're just blah you know but <laughs> there's no damage done yeah really other than your own yeah so I guess in terms of the actual way that it's affecting affecting my life not much but it affects the way I look at my life when I mental illness and spiritual awakening let's call it are so closely. Uh, they look a lot alike, yeah. and it's hard to know what to trust at times. And that actually has been something that has been a prayer of mine since this illness entered my life was give me discernment. Yeah, if it's from you, God, let me know. If it's from my illness, please let me know. You know, and we talked about that before we started recording mm-hmm. about how it's really hard when you're ill mentally to allow yourself to be moved by the Holy Spirit because mm-hmm. you're afraid that it's not the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. it's your mental illness mm-hmm. and and has been at yeah. some points in your oh, life. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, how would someone know if they had it? Other um, than obviously having it diagnosed by a professional, which yeah. is the best way. A lot, this illness, I think this is still true, is often manifest in young adulthood. Okay. As as our as is like schizophrenia and and really even depression too. Early to mid twenties is the hot spot for mm-hmm. mental illnesses, just mm-hmm. so you know, especially in women. And mm-hmm. men it's a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um but if you haven't taken a psychology class mm-hmm. in in your early to mid twenties is when usually your development has stopped and your brain has decided what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And if you're mm-hmm. going to be crazy, mm-hmm. you're going to be crazy. And if you're not, then mm-hmm. hopefully you're not for yeah. the rest of your life. Nice. And being, I say that time period just because if someone is not getting out of bed, if someone is um, just not themselves, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's just, so, the depression side is really so very obvious. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and the mania side is, I mean, if they go full-blown mania, you will know it. Do you know, I mean, even if you lead a lot more fancy life than I do, <laughs> or crazy life than I do, let's say it. Do you know what I mean? There, There's just an element to it that is crazy. That has affected your life, too, in some way in watching me. Because mm-hmm. I've heard you say a lot of times that you and dad have observed my behavior and worried about me being bipolar as mm-hmm. well, um, which I would say that I have slightly manic stages. That's mm-hmm. why I thought I had bipolar too, which is a more mild version of mm-hmm. bipolar. Um, yeah, but that has affected you too because you're watching for that in your children as well. Well, as I mean, as we've talked about, it's obviously her- hereditary. Yeah. I mean, it, there, it's an established fact. That I don't know what the odds or anything like that are, but I can say my dad had it, I got it. Do you know what I mean? So you you do watch for things like that in your children. And I, I watch for it not in only you, but in your brothers, too. I, 
I won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, another question. How often can the ups and downs last? Um, mm. Or how long can they last? Mm-hmm. And what made you first, what was the first sign you had that you had bipolar? And and mm-hmm. I take that even further and not just depression because I know mm-hmm. you started out with depression. Yeah. There is great variance in terms of, high, of how the highs and lows last. There are called, there's a um, condition that when I was studying was called rapid cycling. And a person um, afflicted with that type of illness could possibly be up and down multiple times in one day. So there, um, yeah, and and it and it can vary dramatically from there. I mean, I as far as I know, there's no like normal um, up and down cycle. It can it can vary dramatically be, between each individual. There is a definition of that in the DSM as uh-huh. well. Um, most bipolar is diagnosed by prolonged periods of depression mm-hmm. and prolonged periods of mania. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are different versions of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. where it is rapid cycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to my therapist, when we mm-hmm. were going through um, testing me to see if I had it, um, it is very much more common to have long periods of depression and long periods of mania than it is to do rapid cycling. Interesting. Yeah. I thought that that was rare. Yeah. It's yeah. very so if you're rare, but life debilitating. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> and almost more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. More yeah. like a, like mm-hmm. a movie than. Mm-hmm. than the average bipolar. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next question is, how does it differ from depression and anxiety, which is appropriate to ask us because I have depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and you have bipolar mm-hmm. one. Um, I would say it's just more extreme. Mm-hmm. And in general, by the DSM definition, more prolonged. Mm-hmm. Um, also, mania is a very, is the big difference, different differentiator, mm-hmm. I would say. I think something too that we, just talked about was my lack of need for therapy. Yeah. A lot of people who I know who have suffered from depression and anxiety need therapy. Mm-hmm. They have had something in their life, do you know what I mean, that is contributing to their condition that if they follow through, do some good therapy, take some meds, they might be able to be off their meds. Yeah. Do you know, I mean, it's not a lifetime um uh, thing. Whereas also, I think I talked about earlier, I've just determined this is something I've got to deal with. Yeah. And I, and thank God for the way he let me deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've had such a great life. I have <laughs> such a great life. I mean, who wouldn't want my life, yeah. you know? And here I am walking around with this great life, knowing I I know people who have killed themselves because they had this illness. I know people who have drunk themselves to death trying to combat this illness. Really great people. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're it could be horrid. Yeah. It's not horrid. And that's my I guess maybe that's the final thing I would like to say to people is it's not a death sentence. Yeah. You know, none of this stuff is a death sentence. And it's not something that has to keep you from living a really fairly normal life. Yeah. You just got to take care of yourself and you got to be able to say, I've got this. Or I don't got this. Yeah. Yeah. I need support. 
Exactly. Yeah. Even if well, you're not I, mentally ill. Well, that's when I say I got this, I mean I got this illness. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And and not have that be so devastating. Um, yeah. I I was a 22 year old woman in a nut house, feeling like my life was over. You know, and here I am, 40, 50, How many years later? A happy old mother, grandma, retiree. I survived. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are the best ways to help slash cope, to cope slash help, help others who might be dealing with this? So obviously coping for yourself when you're men- mentally ill is really hard, but I think it's important for people who aren't in the throes of it to know what they can do. And I was fortunate enough to have Caleb. And who, by divine experience, because he didn't have experience with this in his life, was mm-hmm. patient and kind and mm-hmm. long-suffering. And my parents, who mm-hmm. called me out on my bull. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say is the best way to help someone with mental illness? Either advise them or take their hand and bring them to someone who can help them. Yeah. I recently helped a friend go to therapy for mm-hmm. the first time. Well, she was going to therapy, but get medication for the and first follow time. up. Yeah, follow up and ask hard questions about where they're at. Yeah, um, I I helped that friend or talked through it with her because mm-hmm. she already knew, and I told on her. And uh-huh. I think that's one of the best things you can do is to. I told her husband, I said, I'm going to follow up on this. Mm-hmm. And I'm really bad at follow-up, so I need mm-hmm. to follow up more. So mm-hmm. if you're that friend and you're listening, I'm going to text you after this. But um, it's what? very important to have people around you to hold you accountable and mm-hmm. then double hold you accountable. For a long time, Yeah, sometimes. These problems are not quickly solved. We talked about going through multiple therapists. We talked about going through multiple meds. We talked about having to do a lot of work with both of those things before you feel any relief. And, I mean, there are lives that I've walked through with people where I've been like, is this ever going to end? You know, is this ever going to be good for them again? And it is. It always is. You know what I mean? It, It sometimes just takes a lot of time, a lot of hard work, and a lot of understanding and um, I think to to be there for someone and just walk with them through that is it's a it's a privilege, yeah, but a hard thing, yeah, yeah, but worth it because if it's someone you care about and you want them alive mm-hmm. and not just alive but alive and well, exactly, yeah. Um, that's all I have. Do you have any other fun tidbits you want to share with the world? Yeah, they're crazy tidbits. Any other embarrassing stories you want to tell about me? Um, let's see. <laughs> I don't think we should get into that. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty, I'm sure. Um, so this is kind of a heavy topic, so mm-hmm. we'll make sure to include some resources in the show notes. Um, both my mom and I are open to discussions of any kind about questions or um really questions or need of support. I'm not a therapist. Neither is my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And our first recommendation will always be to talk to a professional about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you need a friend or just that extra push to go to the doctor to, to take those meds, feel free to reach out. Um, 
that's all I've got, I think. So if you liked this episode, leave us five stars because it'll help people find it. And uh, Samantha Ruth photos on Instagram. My mom doesn't do social medias because she's a mom. Well, she does, but not enough that you would she would want you to follow her. So <laughs> um, that's all. Folks. I don't know how they would follow me. <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. This actually was fun. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, was okay. I think we're good. <laughs>